I used to play a game when I was really little called Total Annihilation. Wargaming bought that, which is cool. When I found that out, I was like, whoa, that's awesome. So welcome everyone to the new episode of the Echo Podcast. I'm Manny from the CSOP Careers Team, here with Nat from the CSOP Media Team, and we're joined by the amazing Bilal Atkil, a senior software engineer at Wargaming, who's had quite an interesting career journey. Um, Bilal, would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, I'm not sure I'd introduce myself as amazing, but thank you. Myself, yeah, I'm now a game developer at Wargaming and I also make some indie games outside of Wargaming. Other than that, I, a father, or my son's almost turning two, so that's keeping me very busy. Uh, and I play a lot of games and I program stuff on the side as well. Uh, so much of my life is on computers and much of that is about games. How are you finding in general lockdown? Um, not too bad. I'm fortunate to be in an industry that isn't very negatively impacted by COVID. In fact, we, you know, people look for games when they're stuck at home. So it's a, it's a good industry to be in for sure. Um, there are some, you know, the typical loneliness factor, uh, meeting with some of my best friends, uh, was one of the ways I would normally recharge and I can't really do that, uh, as conveniently anymore and that gets me down sometimes uh, other than that uh it's kind of weird for my son he's not even two so covid's almost all he's known for his whole life which is kind of odd uh and you know you want to be taking little kids to parks and taking them out it's like if you you keep a little puppy at home it's just got too much energy so that's a bit odd um but otherwise, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I've spent a lot more on Uber Eats than I ever have, but <laughs> I guess they're, they're having good business at the moment, just like we are in the game industry. You're talking about the game industry. Do you think that lockdown has influenced your interests and possibly your career as well? Um, I think I got into it just before that, uh, before the lockdown, and I'd say it's definitely made me feel like it's a very safe choice. Um, so it's like, okay, this is good. I, I should probably stay here. <laughs> you know, I don't, maybe, maybe I shouldn't think about starting a restaurant or some crazy thing, which would feel a lot more risky. Um, but not too much other than that, I'd say. Was there anything from when you were younger that drew you to, um, game the game industry or was it more recently it's kind of weird i used to make games when i was pretty young uh at high school and even before that i used to on paper like pretend making uh kind of super mario style platformers just drawing it with my brother and yeah so i was in a kind of game making mood when i was pretty young but then as i approached uni i'm not sure why i kind of it, it just slipped my mind that that's something I could do professionally. And I just went as a full-on programmer, uh, computer science path and just doing corporate stuff for a few years, uh, just completely forgetting about game dev kind of um, until I guess it's three, three and a half years ago now, I was kind of feeling, eh, 
this corporate programming is kind of not great. I'm kind of flipping digital hamburgers, so to speak, for other people's business. And it's not the most motivating thing. So hang on a sec. I used to love making games. Why did I just drop that? And that's when I started trying to get back into it. That's really cool how your interests have come in a full circle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we have some questions um, touching on that later on, but I wanted to touch on the first part of that. So about your uni experience, um, like I know a lot of CCSOC um, students will be students. So um, like, I guess want to talk a bit more about how your uni experience was. So um, I guess firstly, what made you choose the degrees that you did? Um, were you sort of like um, still like had some interest in gaming um, before choosing your degrees or did you sort of choose your degrees and like they informed later on that you'd be interested in gaming? Yeah, so when I was about to finish high school, I was just kind of starting to really fall in love with programming in general. Mm. I started programming add-ons for World of Warcraft and that's when oh. I started opening my eyes like, oh my God program is so cool and I was making websites and just code was like oh this is so powerful so when I was deciding what to do at uni uh, I mentioned how for some reason I forgot about games so I was just thinking about programming like I want to do as much programming I want to become the best programmer I can and computer science seemed like the right choice there uh, so I was kind of weird I didn't pick anything except computer science. It was just because like on after I graduated, you got that form, like you, you kind of put your choices in order of preference. And I didn't really put anything, just computer science, <laughs> uh, which is pretty risky. It worked out. So lucky me in that front. Wow. Okay. Um, I, we also took like a sneaky peek at your LinkedIn and we noticed you've done both an undergraduate um, degree in computer science. And also a master's at UCID, um, shake my head, not Unistudy, um, across computer science and bioinformatics. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Like what made you do a bioinformatics master um, out of everything? Yeah, um, the fact that it was bioinformatics was kind of like a side thing. It sounds weird because it's, it's my master's and it's in bioinformatics, but actually what it was, it was research in cloud computing. So I was testing a few different big data software uh, to see how they run at scale and compare them to each other. And to do that comparison, we chose a context and that context was bioinformatics. And so it was like using some bioinformatics challenges to drive this comparison. Um, so I didn't really know anything about bioinformatics when I went into it. And it's like, okay, this is DNA, it's AGCT. I'm like, wait, what DNA? Uh, so I had to <laughs> kind of ramp up really quickly on that. But the main focus for me was on the cloud computing side of things. So that's really interesting. Um, I guess like follow-up question to this undergrad and master's, like how did you find your undergraduate versus master's degree? Would you recommend someone to do a master's degree, perhaps in bioinformatics? Um, and what were the sort of differences you found? Yeah, so I really enjoyed my undergrad. Uh, it was a, I found it a very kind of thrilling experience. I mean, there were some, some classes which I felt were a waste of time, 
I don't know if uni is still like that, but there were some classes I'm like, I'm doing computer science. Why am I doing this? Uh, so putting those ones aside, the actual computer science ones, I really enjoyed. And it was kind of what I, I hoped for when I went into it, trying to maximize my programming skills. So that was great. And then the reason I ended up coming back and doing masters, there was actually quite a gap in between my bachelor and masters was when I was starting to get that feeling at work that, yeah, this isn't so great. Like that, as I mentioned before, digital hamburger flipping thing. And I thought back to my bachelor and I'm like, that was really good when I did that. I wonder maybe I can go back and do masters and it'll be like my bachelor was. The cutting a long story short, it was not <laughs> like that at all. Uh, maybe because I did a pure research masters, in, so there was no uh, no assignments, no no none of that stuff. And I realized the reason I enjoyed my bachelor so much, it's kind of gamified in a way. You get the a, a stream of these short duration challenges which really engage you. And then you finish them, you get a good mark, hopefully, and that gives you this uh, sense of reward, which is kind of what you want in a game, this, this loop of challenge reward. But Masters, uh, at least a research master, was like, okay, you got two years plus. Please produce a thesis. <laughs> and so it was, it was very different. Uh, and I struggled with that quite a bit, especially because I was doing part-time. I was still working. And so uh, it dragged on for a very long time, much more than two years. And that was, that was pretty hard. Um, so, yeah, I guess you, you really want to think like, is this, do I think I could do that? Like just if I've just dropped somewhere and I've got, it's kind of like a big blank canvas and you, you, a lot of it is guiding yourself to get through it. Uh, figure out what you need to do next to take it in the right direction. And it's just such a big period of time to focus on one thing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. So I would try to encourage people to picture themselves in that situation. Is that somewhere they think they would thrive or struggle uh, before they make that decision? Thanks so much for your set on that, but I feel like a lot of people don't quite know what they're getting into, maybe, for muscles. So yeah. I think that would be weird. Myself um, included. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I guess, like, end of uni, everyone goes into uni for a degree to hopefully find a job or land a role. Um, did you feel like your degrees were helpful in getting that role? Or, or what was the most useful part of your degrees? Yeah. Uh... I guess it sounds kind of cynical, but the most useful part of the degree was the degree itself <laughs> uh, in terms of getting a job. The, mm -hmm. the things that I learned in computer science weren't that useful for the first few jobs I got, like the actual skills, because oh, they were much lower level than the jobs needed. So I learned things like uh, concurrency and algorithms and complexity and these sorts of things, but that pretty much didn't come up at all in my first like five years of work or something. Actually, wow. it didn't really come up at all until I switched to the game industry. <laughs> uh, and the things that did come up, which was like making websites, making apps, they didn't teach that in computer science. So it was kind of weird. Um, but having now in Wargaming been in a position where I'm looking at resumes and such, definitely having a, a degree is helpful because 
it, it does speak that you're able to get through such a large commitment like that. And, you know, degrees are difficult in their nature. So uh, it does, it does definitely help with the recruitment process, even if, like I mentioned, you don't have very directly applicable skills from the degree, just the fact that you could do those, uh, considering how hard they are, is, is a pretty big sign, a good sign in the hiring process. Okay, awesome. Um, and you did mention like things that you did outside of the degree. Um, were there any extracurriculars that you did at university? Are there any extracurriculars that you would recommend to students who are at university now? Hmm. I don't know what the definition of extracurricular is. I didn't do much with my actual university, like UCID driven mm -hmm. activities, but I did do stuff outside that. Mm -hmm. So I went to like community meetups and did hackathons and these kinds of things. I don't know if that counts as extracurricular. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, that really helped. Uh, I met a lot of people. I learned about their stories and how they got into the industry and some of the challenges. So a lot of secondhand wisdom, I'll call it from that, just interacting with uh, a wide range of people there. At uni, you mostly interact with uni students and there's not as broad a range of experience that will be rubbing off on you. But when you go out into the community, uh, at one point I was going to like startup meetups, tech meetups, a few different kinds of meetups and meeting all different kinds of people and learning more about the world like that. And then hackathons was a way to exercise some of my programming skills and build kind of a portfolio as well. So those were things that both I enjoyed, firstly. Uh, another thing with the meetups is that if you go to a lot of them, that's a lot of free dinners. <laughs> um, so it's a, a good way to save money perhaps um, maybe not so much during covid but <laughs> yeah so so i enjoyed them and they also helped me so as previously mentioned we looked uh through your linkedin and we noticed that you've had a range of jobs in various companies so how would you explain the difference in each role yeah, if I think back, there's probably like four roles. The first, or four companies, I guess. The first one at a digital agency called Thinkin. That was kind of my first job, just whatever I could do to get into the industry. And that ended up being uh, making websites and eventually making apps. And when I started there, I was the only programmer. They used to outsource, but they were having problems if there were bugs it's pretty hard to outsource fixing of bugs so that was kind of why they hired me initially but by the end I think I was there for almost three years there were a couple more programmers so I kind of naturally moved into a tech lead role but of all kind of newbies so it's kind of a relative term I wasn't like some expert uh, I was I was just a newbie leading other newbies so it was an interesting experience there and uh so yeah that was kind of just let me do whatever i can do and get paid for it as long as it helps me with my resume and after that i moved to amazing so that was like okay i've got some experience now i think i want to try something more than a a little company that just makes websites and stuff and uh this opportunity came along uh, I, I think I was pretty picky at the time. It's like I wanted to work part-time because I'm doing my master's and I'm my wife is 
at the time she wasn't living in Australia or we were waiting for her visa. So like, I want to spend three months a year in China, I can work remotely. So, uh, so I had all these requirements which kind of limited my availability. So I applied for all kinds of places and that was one that actually uh, was fine with all my requirements. And yeah, over there, I, I experienced working in more, what do I call it, structured teams, uh, things like agile uh, development practices and actual practices, you know, at that digital agency, it was kind of just, just working, do whatever, there's, there's no structure, just, just get the job done. But over there, that was the first time that I experienced a, a more serious, uh, it's not serious. I don't know what the word is. Just structured uh, environment and started learning about that side of the world uh, of development. And I was there for a while and they supported me, which was awesome. And then my next moves were kind of, uh, as I changed in my mind what I wanted to do. So I was like, you know what? I might want to, I'm thinking of starting my own company maybe and that's when I was going a lot more of the startup meetups and trying to learn more about the business world. And I thought a good way to learn more about that would be to actually work at a startup so I could learn about the problems that they have because I'm sure they have very different problems to a big company like Amazon. So that drove the next, uh, the next change in role I had. So I, I moved to a startup and initially, uh, I, it wasn't really clear what my role would be because that's kind of what it's like at startups. It's like, do whatever we, we need to get stuff done. Okay. So what should I put on my LinkedIn? For, and the CEO at the time was like, oh, just put CTO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's, it's weird, but you know, startups is a very different ballpark and, and that totally achieved what I wanted going there. Like it was, it was wild. I remember talking to lawyers, hearing about tax problems and just all kinds of weird problems that happen in the startup world. So it, it kind of delivered that learning I was looking for. Um, and I was pretty much there until that final switch to the game industry where I'm now at Wargaming. So yeah, I, it's like the different roles were tied to, in my mind, the different steps in my career journey. So that's kind of where that came from. And do you talk about the differences between each uh, uh, company and how there's like more structured compared to um, looking at developing websites and apps? Would you say that uh, working at a new company, you have to start from scratch or are those skills transferable? Skills are transferable. Like now that I know about things like mm -hmm. Agile and if I go to another company and they do something vaguely similar, it'll be a lot faster uh, for me ramping up and attaching, so to speak, attaching myself to that. But I've also learned that every company kind of has its own DNA in how they do their things. And uh, what I've learned at Wargaming, sometimes it's not even a company, it's specific teams. They'll develop their own way of working over time. So an important thing is to, to be adaptable, so to speak. You, you want to come in and work with that company uh, not be rigid and say, oh, that's not how you should do things or, or this and that. So, so it, it helps to have that experience and know how it's been done in other places. And that, that can help if you know things that worked and didn't work, you can suggest them as improvements. 
but yeah, end of the day, you, you need to, you need to work with the company. Having that said, which company would you say was the hardest um, to adapt to? It's a tricky one. Wargaming was interesting because it was actually my first role in get the game industry. And, you know, it's a triple A studio. So there was this, this pretty big feeling of imposter syndrome, like, oh my God, these guys are all gods around me and I just don't even know what I'm doing here. Uh, but I was fortunate to be on a project which actually utilized a lot of my background. The, the first job was definitely a struggle because I started as the only programmer in my first job, which means no one could guide me or help me in my first job, which is not really a, a position you want to be in. Normally, if you're new to something, you want to have someone uh, to kind of show you the ropes and help you through things. So I was very much thrown into the deep end with that. So I would consider that the the hardest, um, but maybe that helped me uh, kind of in the future because, you know, you get burned once and you're, you're stronger later. Um, actually, that was the, I'd say that's the case for a lot of things from my first job. I kind of overworked myself the most there. There was overtime. I was underpaid and just all these things which I learned to look out for in the future jobs. So now I'm, I'm really not okay with uh, overtime. I mean, there's, there's situations where it's needed. Um, but it shouldn't be the norm at all. And maybe I wouldn't have, uh, if I wasn't so burned from my first job, I wouldn't have kind of learned that as quickly as I did. And maybe that could have been an ongoing problem. But yeah. That's really interesting how you learn a lot from the first job and take that on with uh, your rest of your career path. And you mentioned triple uh, A. What's the main differences you would say between indie development and AAA? Well, I guess the, the core thing is the scale of the, the projects. Um, and while that might just sound like, yeah, obviously, AAA is bigger and indie is smaller, uh, the knock-on effects that scale has is pretty profound. So when you have a big enough game, that means there's a lot of teams and a lot of specialties within the teams. And I remember seeing on Wargaming's job board at some point uh, a role that's like vehicle physics engineer, which is just so hyper-specialized. Uh, and it's like, can you imagine yourself just working on like wheels and bouncing on rock and like just vehicle physics? Uh, and then in the indie game, the scale's smaller, which means the team's smaller, often only just one person which means you are all the teams. So you need to do everything. There's no, there's no concept of specialization. And, and if you contrast in a triple A, you've got one person working on vehicle physics for a game for a couple of years. Whereas in indie, you want to release an entire game in a few months as just one person. It's like completely worlds apart. Um, just from the scale being different, the, the actual, the way the game that gets made is completely different as well. That's really cool. So for our students who don't know, Wargaming is an award-winning AAA online game developer and publisher with leading games across the free-to-play and remote market, um, delivering authentic game experiences and services across multiple platforms. Um, so far, as someone who works at Wargaming, 
Um, is there anything that we've missed in our description just then about Wargaming that you'd like to add? I just want to add that they're really great as an employer. I know this sounds like I'm being paid to say this, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the games they make are great. That's cool. But they, they really pride themselves in also being a great employer. So it's, yeah, I feel like they've compared to, I don't mean to um, put my other experiences down, but uh, it definitely feels like a nicer place to work than any I've worked before. Sure. Um, I, I think um, Nat's going to ask you about uh, your work as a software dev there. So maybe we can ask, like, why do you feel like Wargaming has a lot more care? Yeah. So one thing I really like about it and that has made it hard for me to consider other positions in other companies is how much uh, emphasis they have on individual development. So they they allocate a pretty significant amount of time in to, to the employees developing their own skills and uh, kind of creating their own goals and trying to move towards it, even in work time. I, I've called some other companies and they're like, yeah, we support individual development. We give you a budget, but you need to do it all in your own time, uh, which is normal. And that's still good. But uh, Wargaming kind of goes the extra mile and even provides time, which I find is one of the, the most important factors. So you actually, uh, I think I'm allowed to say this. We have something called Dice Days, which is like one and a half days a month where you can kind of just work on other projects, uh, whatever you like, almost, as long as it contributes to your development goals. So, uh, and your own development goals come up at your annual progress review. So like, if you're not developing yourself well, that's a problem. So that's kind of a, an example of how they take you seriously because that's even part of their progress review. Wow. That's okay, that's really interesting. I cannot wait to hear more about that later. Um, let me jump back on my topic. So um, a little bit more about industry of gaming. Um, would you um, be happy to describe the AAA gaming industry in Australia and just what it's like um, in general working in AAA? Sure. Um, it's growing, which is good. We've got some new competition in Melbourne, especially we've had Sledgehammer games popping up. I think there's been rumors of Ubisoft coming down. Um, I'm not sure where that went, but it's good that more AAA is coming. The, the government recently added some temptation, I guess, for companies to come down with uh, tax cuts if they make a certain amount of revenue. Unfortunately, that doesn't apply to indies, but it does help AAA. So it looks like a direction that the, the government is finally realizing is this is a big business. So we want to start investing more in it. So that's good. That means that hopefully there will be more and more roles available for the right people. Um, but before that, it was it was pretty tough because Wargaming's been here a long time, yes, but I'm not too familiar of with many other big uh, AAAs in Australia. So, you know, it, there, there's a supply versus demand issue there. 
um, where there's a lot of people studying games, but there's not that many AAA studios here. And so I've heard of a lot of people moving overseas for jobs after studying here, which is unfortunate, uh, but hopefully things will get better and better over time. Ah, okay. That sounds really optimistic, which is good to hear. Um, I guess on the other side of AAA, um, can, would you be happy to go to the position of like, the indie game development um, industry in Australia or that you've had experience with? Yeah. So there's, it's really, there's a lot of really nice people in the indie game community here. So we've got, uh, we've got a few regular community things. There's a Games with the Wings Discord, I'll plug. Uh, I'm not part of that, so I'm not paid to say this. Um, but um, that used to have the regular beer and pixels, which everyone misses now that uh, COVID's happening. It's still happening virtually. That's a place, if you're interested, a lot of indie devs meet every month virtually and uh, share their games in progress. And there have been other events pop up here and there. And one thing I always found when I went to them is just how inclusive and awesome the people who, who were there were. And it's just everyone was so supportive of each other. And there's really also such a wide range of indie games being created. Like it's, it's, more, it's more art for a lot of people and like expression of uh, how they feel and things like that. So you get a, a whole, it's very kind of inspirational. Like you see all different kinds of games and they can help you come up with ideas for your own. And uh, you see things you never thought like, oh, that's interesting. I've never seen a game like that. So it's good. There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of support. So it's a great, great community here, I think. Mm. Awesome. Um, so, with Indie Games, we also saw that you're the founder of Doodad Games. Um, what was your inspiration behind that? Why did you create um, and how are you balancing it with your personal life and your work? Yeah. Um, so, I started Doodad Games at that kind of point where I realized, hey, I used to love games before. Why did I stop? You know what? I'm going to get back into it. And so it was this position where I finally finished my master's and I had a decent amount of savings. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to make a game. Uh, despite having no recent game development experience, and so I quit my job and I blew my savings and I didn't end up with a finished game, <laughs> but I had two dead games. So um, then I went back to work and later joined Wargaming, but I kept making games with two dead games on the side. And it's been a struggle to balance that, especially since my son was born almost two years ago. It's become very much a struggle, um, but I've managed to... Uh, I'm trying to use my time at Wargaming to kind of help stack the cards in my favor with Doodad Games. So, for instance, I've been able to arrange a four-day work week with Wargaming, and so I have one day a week just dedicated to Doodad Games at least. And although I can try to, to put some extra work at night, say, well, everyone's asleep usually between 10 and 12 p.m., I don't put my I don't put pressure on myself for that. Like if I can, awesome. But you know, life, COVID, don't don't stress out if you just wanna 
play part of Excel. Just go ahead. It's, don't, don't, don't give yourself crap for that kind of stuff. And that's been a lot better now that I do have that one day that I can uh, rely on because that means even if I don't get anything in at night, I have a kind of secure slot. Like I will get some work done this week at least. So yeah, the, I don't know if that really touched on the inspiration, but yeah, it's kind of, I wanted to make games when I was little and then I forgot about it. And then I wasn't satisfied with my, not with my corporate programming life. I'm like, hang on, I can make games. And so do that games was born. Awesome. Um, yeah, I also wanted to ask, like you mentioned that you're playing Path of Exile in your free time. Um, like, has being in like more gaming and the game industry influence how much time you spend playing games? Like, you find yourself playing games more and being like, wow, do you ever work on the vehicle tracking system this game did a good job? Or <laughs> do you find yourself playing games less and like doing other stuff? Um, yeah, how's that affected you? So, I'd say for reasons other than wargaming, I'm playing games much less than I ever have. Oh. Uh, I used to play heaps and heaps of games when I was going through school and uni, but then. I got a girlfriend and a wife and that kind of stuff <laughs> and, and work. So those are the reasons I play less games. Uh, I would love to play games as much as I used to, but that's not practical anymore, unfortunately. Working in the industry and at Wargaming has made me look at games differently. Uh, I, I have a much more tangible understanding of the struggles behind them. And so I might look at a game and there's something like, I don't know, uh, a person's cape is blowing in the wind, which is like normally you would hardly like not think about it much. And I'll be like, oh, those physics are so good. How do they optimize it? So <laughs> I, I start to, I'm looking at the games that I play differently. Um, yeah. So that's about it, I'd say. Sometimes I play games for work. Um, if We have regular play tests at the office, but not that much so not enough to cover the loss from the rest of my life (laughs) (laughs) out of curiosity what would you say is your favorite game that uh war gaming has produced um i used to play a game when i was really little called total annihilation war gaming bought that which is cool when i found that out i was like whoa that's awesome but i don't think they produced it so maybe that doesn't count um other than putting that aside, I haven't actually played any of Wargaming's games before I started out Wargaming. So as I got the interview, I'm like, oh man, I've got to play them. So I downloaded <laughs> the three big ones, World of Tanks, World of Warships, and World of Planes, and gave them a go. And between the three, World of Warships was my favorite. It was pretty cool uh, seeing a battle at such a large scale. And... I tried another one that they released around the time I started called Pagan Online, which was an action RPG, kind of like Diablo. And that was cool. I do like that genre more. I don't play many shooting uh, shooting games. So the the kind of the flagship warship game, warship, the flagship war gaming games aren't that much my style but pagan online was more so yeah i don't know hard to hard to answer specifically because they're not games i regularly play still really interesting how would you describe the company culture at wargaming it's 
It's a good one. So well, I, I'm speaking for Wargaming Sydney here. I mean, the companies, the global companies made of many individual studios. I can only speak on behalf of Wargaming Sydney, but it's, it's really, really good. We, we try to always improve things. Uh, we've got these community groups that have like weekly meetings and some of the topics are like diversity and environmental uh, stuff. So back when we were in the office, the environmental group would meet and try to find ways to improve things. And so they were actually able to, for instance, change all the light bulbs uh, because that was the thing one of the groups said that we could use these light bulbs that'll reduce the energy bill and we can switch this energy company they have 100% green and so they're actually like doing things uh, which is cool and uh, a more recent example that there was kind of some drama with stuff happening at Blizzard recently I won't go too much into the detail but it made the company stop and reflect like hang on, is there any toxic behavior going on here? Let's have a meeting and try to introspect into the company, see any, uh, see any problems and opportunities for improvement. So they're actually kind of looking in on themselves and trying to keep improving, which is really good. Really interesting how you, um, how Wargaming looks at reflecting on themselves and how they can improve. Would you say, uh, how would you describe the teams inside Wargaming? Are there specific game engine teams, graphic, or teams cross-functional? Do you collaborate often? Um, yeah, in general. Yeah. So the, the studio is big enough and has a wide enough range of projects that you kind of get a bit of everything. So, uh, and this is even just within Wargaming Sydney. I know the wider Wargaming will have all kinds of stuff, but even just within Wargaming Sydney, we've got enough of a range of projects that you will have some cross-functional teams. I'm on a cross-functional team. We're on a pretty new project. So we've got everyone we need on our team. We've got a designer, product manager, engineers, just testers, just the whole thing on our team. And then for other much larger projects, it might be split into many more teams. And even then, some of the teams might be cross-functional, like uh, if they're working on adding complete like gameplay content, then they're the responsible for doing the art, adding the characters, adding the gameplay mechanics and doing all those things. But then there'll also be more of those hyper-focused teams, like this is the networking team, this is the, uh, the graphics team, this is the replays team. So you get a mix of it all there. Um, which is good. It, it means that if you want to change things up, so maybe I, I want to try specializing in something, I can just speak to my manager. It's like, hey, I'm interested in switching over to this team and then he can work with me on making that happen. So it's good to have that opportunity. Uh, firstly, that variety and then the opportunity to kind of inject yourself among it if there's a specific thing you want to try. Yeah, it's really cool how collaboration works at Wargaming and you can choose to specialize or talk to the manager to have an opportunity to work in different areas. How do tasks get completed at Wargaming? As in, how often do you have meetings and how do you plan out the week? Yeah, so that's a thing that I think will, it'll be a team per team thing. So we don't really have like a company mandated process it's more like every team will kind of develop their own way of working. And as the team members change, uh, maybe different things will work for them. 
the team size is another factor there. In, so I can speak on behalf of my team at least. And for that, we've got sprints. So this is in a kind of agile setup. We've got a sprint, which is a period of time, two or three weeks, for example. And that's like a, a regular thing. We want to be able to complete a chunk of work by then. So before the sprint, you've got a process of saying, okay, what work is available? What priority is it in? What's the most important to do? And so what do we want to try to get done in that sprint? So when the sprint starts, there's a bunch of work there. People already, uh, people know about the work firstly, that we, there's something called a refinement process, which happens before the sprint. And that's so everyone learns what they need to about it. And uh, there's context on it so that they can actually start working. And then you try to smash it out during the sprint. We've got things like code review. Uh, so you don't have one person write code and just chuck it into production. Uh, so we've got things like that um, and hopefully get it done before the end of the sprint. And yeah, it's just a, a kind of repeating cycle like that. At the end of each sprint, you'll have a retro where you look back on the sprint, what went well, what, went, what didn't go well, anything we should change moving forward. Um, yeah, a lot of these are kind of agile scrum things. I don't know if they teach those at uni. They didn't teach me. I learned them at Amazim, I think. So yeah, there's a bit of, there's some structure to it. Uh, and there are quite a few meetings, at least on my team. It might depend on the team. My team is working on like a completely new thing where there's no like example we can reference from. And so we have a lot of meetings because we have to kind of solve a lot of problems collaboratively. But maybe, I don't know, if other teams, it's not that much new stuff and you can just like get work done without having to meet. I'm not sure. When you talk about sprints, is there a particular um, time of the year where wargaming uh, is most busy or is it uh, usually a cycle and it just keeps continuing? So I'm coming up on two years there. I can't remember any particular like seasonal, seasonal or just time-based crunch, but there is always a bit of pressure if a big product is about to release or if like there's a specific delivery milestone that's about to happen. Um, but that's that usually won't affect the whole company. It will just affect the people working in those relevant teams. So that's that's always a thing but you know it's it's not nearly as bad as i've heard so before i came into the game industry i i heard a lot of kind of horror stories and you know cyberpunk uh <laughs> for like a couple of years i don't know so it wasn't nearly that bad uh it was just like okay everyone work hard but you know you still have your managers telling you please don't work on the weekends please like <laughs> It's not okay. We had our, our CEO at one point have this this meeting with the whole company. It's like, guys, please don't work overtime. It's not worth it. So it's, it's yeah, it's like people are more serious and like less chatty and stuff, but it's not like crunch, 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 burnout. So, uh, yeah. What uh, would you say is the biggest challenge, either technological or just socially, in your job as a game developer? So I mentioned I'm on a, a fresh new project, so that has all kinds of technological challenges. And 
I can't really mention too much about my project naturally, but it's one that kind of touches a lot of different things. And for that, it needs to use a lot of different technologies. And that's been really challenging, uh, especially as our team is growing and there's also a growing number of technologies we use. That means there's so much that everyone needs to learn and it's kind of becoming hard to manage. So you start to have the thought like, should we split into multiple teams where they each need to know less things, but that will have side effects. And so uh, I found that to be quite an interesting challenge uh, with not really an obvious way of how to, how to move forward. Um, that would be very different to say the challenges a hyper-specialized team would have because they'd be they're more about getting really deep into a single technology, whereas my team is using all kinds of things. So, What would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Well, I think this, is, this goes for almost all things programming, and that's kind of what made me fall in love with coding in the first place. But there's this special feeling of satisfaction when a thing works and you use it and it does what you wanted it to do. It's like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And then in the game industry, that thing is a game. And, you know, as a gamer, I'm playing my own game. I'm like, oh my God, so cool. So that's awesome. Uh, and recently, now I've got my son, I'm working on a game for my son. And watching him play my game was like, oh, this is insane. So, yeah. That's so cool how you can uh, share what you're creating with your son. What do you think are important qualities to have in order to be a game developer? So definitely problem solving. Game development is very different to the burger flipping kind of thing uh, that I experienced in my other jobs. It wasn't just make a website, okay, make another website, okay, make an app. It's games just have a way of always challenging you, whether it's through performance, uh, this thing is running too slow, and then you're like, okay, how can I make it faster? I don't even know how. Uh, so before you can solve it, you need to take a step back. Like, okay, what's the problem? How do I solve this? So problem solving is definitely a big thing. I've also found that I can't just Google solutions as much as I used to. So in web dev, that was definitely a thing. Like almost everything you needed was on Stack Overflow. You had to learn how to be good at searching things, but I've found in games that's not so much the case because every game has its own way of working. Like, sure, we all use Unity or Unreal, but we have our own, like, tile system or grid system and no one else knows what that is. So how can they answer your question? So it it's a lot more internal problem solving. Uh, it, it's a lot harder to ask for help uh, if, if you're facing those levels of problems. Um, Wargaming, when you're working at a big company like Wargaming and you're surrounded by geniuses, you will be able to uh, collaborate and find solutions. But if you're working indie, you won't. And so you'll have to solve all those problems yourself, which is quite, can be quite difficult. I guess a lot of students would definitely be interested in hearing um, what should they do, what are the important things they should do to um, actually make it into um, the gaming industry or into triple A gaming. Um, I guess, like, what is the recruitment process at Wargaming like? Um, what did you go through? Cool. So it's a, it's a multi-stage interview process. I don't think they did anything really 
unique or out of the normal. So it's probably similar to a lot of other companies. Start with a phone interview and then proceed to a, in, well, I would say in person, but that's kind of meaningless now, a FaceTime face Zoom interview, I guess. And uh, you're, you're usually interviewing different people at different stages. So the first time would be a recruiter and they kind of make sure you're not a lunatic or something before passing you on to the, to the manager. And, and he would see if you seem to have relevant experience for the role and if it would be good to, I think when I did it, we did the programming test in the interview room. Uh, I don't know how that would work now if they'll send you a little challenge or I think that's, I think that's what it was actually. They'll send you a little programming challenge just to see that you actually can program. You're not, because you'd be surprised some people apply for jobs and they actually don't know how to program. I don't, I don't know what they're thinking. So there's a kind of, there's kind of a couple of sanity checks along, along the way. And then you'll have another meeting, uh, another chat with some more of the, uh, someone at the director level, so you can learn more about the kind of higher level strategy for the company and see how that works with you and that they can learn about you. So, um, yeah, there's a few roles in rounds of interviews before that happens. And if everything goes well, then you'll have a computer sent to your house and start <laughs> meeting all the team and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's so cool. Um, and I was going to ask if Wargaming or gaming does anything special in terms of interviews, but it sounds like you guys don't really. Um, like even in, for example, the programming interview, would that be like um, a specific challenge related to a game or would it just be like a normal, like um, find the max element in some complex data structure? Um, so yeah, I, I don't recall doing any game specific ones. And depending on the, the level of seniority that you apply for, uh, a lot of the time, like we don't, I remember when I was looking at say some junior applications, it wasn't really so much, did they get the answer perfect or not? It was more just to see like, what is their process of thinking? Because we, we recognize, especially at those lower levels that there's going to be a lot of growth on the job. So it's not so much that you know everything before you come into it, but at least that you have a kind of, we can hopefully see that there's a mindset of problem solving and this and that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess if you were an applicant, um, how would you suggest is the best way to show that you have that mindset of problem solving? Are there particular signals that you guys look out for? Yeah, well, the, the big standout for me is if you have kind of, if you solve problems and you can show us that you have. So I, it might be a kind of thing where you have to have the privilege of time and whatnot, but if you've done game jams or if you've done hackathons and you've got a portfolio of a couple of things you've created, then it's like, okay, this person's actually done that. Uh, so that's a very good way of showing that you can do that by showing that you did do that. Um, so that's definitely something that can help if you are able to do it. Um, yeah, it's probably the, the, the biggest, biggest winner. Okay. Awesome. Um, and other things are like, um, we hear a lot that soft skills are important. Um, how do you think that's taken into consideration versus technical skills throughout the process? Yeah. So soft skills, 
are pretty big, uh, showing that you're a good communicator, that you're a good listener. Um, I mentioned like in my project, we've got quite a lot of meetings where we have to collaborate on things. And if, if that's something that we feel like an applicant will struggle to be a part of, if they have trouble listening or contributing to these discussions, then that's going to be an issue because those discussions are part of the job. So, um, yep. How do I answer the question? Soft skills are important. How can you demonstrate them? Was that the question? Yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah. Like how would I, as an advocate, like how can I demonstrate I have those soft skills? Is it just through the talking in the interview? There's no real answer to this one. Yeah, I guess that's something we, it's kind of hard because, you know, part of the name of soft skill is that something that isn't just immediately like visible, like a technical skill. So I think that's part of the reason that there are so many stages to the interview process and different people involved. So each of these people are communicating with you and they'll kind of, uh, they'll respond with how they feel you are as a communicator and, and that kind of stuff. So are there, I, I'm not sure I can think of any specific recommendations because it's a, it's a very, how does it feel kind of thing. So uh, just like general advice, what do you wish you'd known when starting out your career path? I wish I'd thought of games before <laughs> wasting a few years and then realizing, hang on, I loved games. Um, so that's one thing. I don't know. I feel like I was pretty fortunate because at least I knew I liked programming and that was able to help me a lot. Uh, knowing that you do have, like something and being able to go down a path which has something you like is very beneficial, uh, but not everyone has that luxury. I know my brother, for instance, he, he was never able to find that thing he wanted to do and that that is a lot harder to work with if, if you're not sure what you want to do. So um, what do I wish I'd have known? Uh, I definitely got underpaid in my first few jobs. I wish I knew more what I deserved for the work that I was doing. So it's it's easy to kind of undercut yourself because you think, ah, this is my first job. I just need to get whatever I can. But uh, I, I, I had an interesting comparison with a friend of mine. We graduated at the same time and our, our, our kind of salaries went very different because of how I kind of undercut myself initially and that lowered my expectations for future jobs. Whereas he kind of studied the industry more first and saw, okay, this is what someone with my experience should get paid and actually fight for that more. Um, so yeah, I guess be careful not to undercut yourself. Do, do your research and see what you deserve and um, hopefully uh, if you're a programmer, for instance, there, there should be lots of jobs to apply for and, you know, shouldn't just take whatever you can get necessarily, uh, especially if it's low, that could be a sign that there's other problems, uh, as was the case with my first job, underpaid and over time. So just be careful for those kinds of things. Thank you so much for sharing um, your experiences and all this um, advice and how you've navigated your career. Thank you for listening and asking all these awesome questions. Amazing. Um, so 
to wrap up. Um, hi everyone. To those listening, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Echo. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode, we also hope to see you in the next podcast. Thank you once again to Bilal and Natalie for joining us as well. Um, and Bilal taking time out of what must be a really busy day, um, doing all these cool things between AAA, indie game development, and being a dad um, to come talk with us. 